I'm a bit nervous about today um, because I believe the Lord has given me uh, what I would describe as a, quite a prophetic message. It's a message that has weighed on my heart. Um, and specifically, it's a warning. And it's a warning that Satan is out to get us and Satan is out to get our church, this church. And you might be thinking that's a little bit intense. Some of you might be new here. It might be your first time. I was trying to find some flowery, I was trying to um, find some flowery language to kind of pack that up in, but I really couldn't. Um, and, and some of you are thinking, man, this guy maybe is a bit of a, a crazy guy. I just want to give you a little bit of my experience about the subject of uh, Satan. I grew up in a, a, a very middle class, quite affluent um, Baptist church in Cardiff in Wales. And um, I've got to be honest, um, it seems to me that when it comes to the subject of Satan, there's, there's often two camps in the church. So I grew up in this church where we didn't really talk about the fact that there was Satan or a devil at all. Um, that didn't really come up in conversation. I guess that's probably a good thing. It didn't really come up in church on a Sunday. And I guess maybe that is a symptom of kind of the naturalistic world that we live in in the West, right? We don't really think good and evil. We don't really think, um, uh, you know, Satan and demons and angels and all that. We just think science. I did a physics degree, so, you know, um, we just think science and, and rationalism and all that stuff. And so we have what, um, what I would call an underrealized um, theology of Satan. But I also had this other experience uh, growing up, which was this. Once in a while, I don't know if this is the same for any of you, you'd bump into a person who literally wanted to talk about Satan and his demons everywhere they went. Did you, anybody? Was that just me? Right? They, they were always a little bit odd. Some of them had a twitch. They liked to talk about the end times and nuclear Armageddon. And when, they woke, when those kind of people wake up in the morning and there's no milk in the fridge, they see Satan like, and all his demons like, out to get them, right? Is that just my experience? I don't know. I would say that's an over-realized theology of Satan and de- you know, the demonic. I want to suggest today that somewhere between not talking about it and talking about it all the time, we can find a middle ground where we have a healthy and biblical understanding and awareness of Satan's strategies in our lives and in the church, which means that we're able to withstand him and therefore advance the kingdom of God uh, more effectively in these days. And I've been inspired as I've been thinking about this message um, by, by a little book by a guy called Thomas Brooks. Thomas Brooks was um, a guy that uh, lived in London in the 1600s. He actually um, pastored the church, um, which was the first church to burn down during the Great Fire, and it's where, on the site where the, the monument to the Fire of London um, now is. So we went over there just to see where he um, did his thing. And it's a little book called, I love the title, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's been really helpful, and um, to be honest, the most helpful part was the preface, and this is what um, Thomas Brooks says. Is my head in the way? Or are you okay? Christ the scripture, you, is it? Because it is. Can, does this move? Because that's, okay. Christ the scripture, your own hearts, and Satan's devices are the four prime things that should be first and foremost studied and searched. 
if any cast off study of these, they cannot be safe here nor happy hereafter. Our goal today is this we're going to spend some time in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to spend it thinking about Satan's devices, his schemes and strategies that we might be equipped to be safe here and happy in the life to come. Let's just read three little verses. From 1 Peter chapter 5, you'll find them starting at verse 8. It says this Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings have been experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we just come to you now and we ask for your grace for this time in your words, that it might help us to stand against this roaring lion that we've just read about. Spirit of God, we say we need your help. Would you come minister to our hearts? Help me, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to attack this passage. And I want to attack this、uh, passage basically by、um, looking at four instructions that Peter gives to the church. The first three are very obvious imperatives, the last one is much more implied, but it's of great importance. And so Peter、uh, starts in these verses. He's writing to、uh, churches in southern Turkey, I believe,、um, in the first century. And, and he, on the subject of Satan and the devil, he starts by instructing them. He says, Be sober minded. The vision of the Bible I normally use simply says this Be serious. Be serious. I want to say this to you Be serious. About Satan. Our adversary is not a comic book villain. He's not a narcissistic dictator like Kim Jong un. He's not,、um, I don't know when, when you wake up on a Monday morning, I don't know whether your manager in work is your adversary, I don't know whether your colleagues in work, I don't know whether a screaming toddler becomes your adversary on a Monday morning.、Um, those things can feel like great enemies sometimes, but Peter says to us today,、uh, be sober minded because your enemy is Satan himself. We should be very sober minded because of who he is. He's the same person that convinced Eve to eat the apple. He's the same person that pretty much destroyed Job's life, but for the grace of God. He's the same person that in Matthew 4 came to Jesus himself and tempted him in the wilderness, right? And Peter says to us, the same person that was tempting those people is tempting and is against you, battling against you today. And so we should be very sober minded because of who he is. But we should also be very sober minded because of what he is like. I love this description. It's so、uh, vivid, isn't it? Be sober minded, your adversary, the devil, prowls round like a roaring lion. Now, as part of my、um, study for this sermon, I have to confess I spent a lot of time on YouTube lions hunting, <laughs> right? You've got to do it.、There's, if you're a vegetarian, probably don't, but there's a lot of meat and <laughs> fierce things going on.、Uh, but 
seriously, watch it. Watch a lot. Did you, any of you see Planet Earth last year where the, the lions went after the giraffe, right? Have you ever seen a lion hunt? These are the words that I came up with whilst I was spending time studying YouTube.、Uh, lions are intentional. Lions are skillful. Lions are crafty, secretive, subtle, inconspicuous, focused, intelligent, and organized. And then when they get to the point where they can get to their prey, all of a sudden they become powerful. Aggressive, dynamic, strong, precise. When they finally pounce, they're lethal. Peter says to us, "Your adversary, the devil, is like a prowling lion. He's just reminded us we're like sheep, and the, the enemy to our souls is at the top of the food chain, the lion himself, and he's coming after us." So we should be sober-minded because of who he is and what he's like, and we should also be sober-minded because of what he's up to. Our enemy, the devil, prowls round like a roaring lion, looking for people to play sleeping lions with. That's not what it says, right? He's prowling round, looking, seeking someone to devour. What Satan's purpose is in prowling around to devour us? The imagery is potent, but what does it mean? Quite simply, as I've been thinking about how to describe it in a sentence, I think it's this: He wants to rip us from Jesus, the source of all life. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, I want you to know this because this is what the Bible says: that there is an enemy to your soul, and he's doing everything. He's raging war against you. Trying to keep you from Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who's the source of eternal life. Thomas Brooks says Satan is using all his power and skill to bring all the sons of men into the same condition and condemnation as himself. For those of us who are Christians or call ourselves Christians, how is Satan trying to devour us? The first thing I want to suggest is this: that Satan is doing everything he can to steal the deposit of faith from your hearts. So Paul,、uh, writing to Timothy,、um, he describes this situation where、um, some of Timothy's friends have he, he uses the word shipwrecked their faith. That is Satan's great desire for you and me. He's out to try and make you shipwreck. Your faith. He wants you to abandon it. He wants you to、um, lose the treasure of eternal life by losing Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, "Ah, yes, but hold on. Once we're saved, aren't we always saved?" A word of comfort to you, John ten twenty-seven. Let's hope when it comes up. My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus Christ, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. Those who are truly saved by Jesus through faith, no one gets to take them from Jesus. That's good news for us. If you're following Jesus, that's good news. But one thing that I, I've often grappled with and found difficult is that that. that whilst that is true, the Bible doesn't give us room to get comfortable on that truth. 
One of the first sermons I ever preached was in Colossians chapter 1 in a church in Goa, India on Easter Sunday. And um, some of you will know the, the verses. It, it starts with the supremacy and greatness of Jesus. And there's these wonderful verses. And then it turns to, um, to, to Jesus' reconciling work on the cross for, for us. And then there's this wonderful verse. It might be my favorite in the whole Bible. And it says, he presents you holy and blameless and without fault. And the church jumps up and down and we all, you know, celebrate. Hooray, this is the awesome truth of the gospel. And then there's this little verse, verse 23. And I've got to be honest, when I was 19 in Goa, I just stopped the sermon there because it was so good. But verse 23 says this. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel. Those who are truly saved by Jesus are going to walk in obedience across the finish line. Right? And, and, and those who endure to the end will be saved. That's Mark 13. But the scripture doesn't let us get comfortable on our eternal security and minimize the seriousness of a roaring lion out to snatch faith from our souls. He's a thief, a thief that kills, steals, and destroys. You've read the parable of the sower. The, sow, the seed gets sown. And yet Satan comes and chokes it out. He wants you to shipwreck your faith. But many of us here are in Christ. Many of us are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're walking with Jesus. We're going to cross the finish line. We're going to enter into eternal life. But Satan still has schemes against you. This is what he wants to do. He wants to make you unhappy, anxious, impotent, and ineffective in your Christian life. You see in verse 9, this is what um, Peter says. He says, um, he says, we need to resist him. We'll get to that. He says, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I want to say this. Every single one of us, Christian or not Christian, not, not yet a Christian here today. We're all in the firing line. Satan himself is out to devour us. And that's a bit scary, right? Or is that just me? That's a bit scary. Jesus himself said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This feels intense and intimidating, perhaps it should. So what's our response? Well, after um, Peter says, be sober-minded, he then says, be watchful. Our response to Satan is this, we should be very alert. Like I said, um, we, we spent some time yesterday in Borough Market. We, we went sort of for brunch. The food was so good, we went back for lunch. <laughs> Right? Anybody else done that? Probably, right? <laughs> you know, just thinking about the, the, the terror attack that happened over there, and, and all over the country, I'm sure there were people that just felt heavy-hearted for, for the people of London, you know? But it was interesting, wasn't it, when, when it happened, all of a sudden, the alert level, police, security, citizens, goes up. And we're told, be vigilant, keep a watch, be careful, see what's going on. And when all of a sudden we see um, Satan and his, um, his power and, and what he's out to do, I think the right thing is that all of a sudden it lifts our alertness to his schemes. 
Again, Thomas Brooks says, keep a strong, close, and constant watch. And it's not just good enough to to know that there is an enemy of our souls, right? I think if we're going to battle against him, which we're going to get to in a moment, we don't just need to know that he's there. We also need to know his, his strategy, his tactics, what he's going to do to try and bring us down. And so I want to spend a few minutes just thinking about the strategies of Satan. I love how um, Spurgeon, Spurgeon was again an old dead um, preacher from this town. I love how he puts it. He says, Satan has, um, he has sweet poisons and bitter poisons. And I just want us to spend a few minutes thinking about um, three of the sweetest poisons that Satan would use to, to pull you away from Jesus, the source of life. And then th- uh, three bitter poisons as well. And the first sweet poison is this. He wants to uh, delight and distract you with the lesser pleasures of this world. Satan will bring things into your life that will draw your affections away from Christ. That will make Christ a lesser treasure to you. I have people in my church whom I pray for regularly. And their job has become a greater pleasure to them than Jesus. I have people in my church that delight more in their holidays than they do in Jesus. I have people in my church that are more concerned about who they're dating than they are in Jesus. There's people in my town who delight more in drugs and alcohol than they do in Jesus. There's people in my town that that prefer shopping and social media to Jesus and pornography and promotions to Jesus. My guess is if those people are in my town, they're probably in your city too, right? I want to warn you, Satan is using these things as a strategy to draw us away from Christ. If you're here and you're a Christian, he wants to use the things of this world to make your relationship with Jesus insecure and your, your um, service of him ineffective. He wants to pull you off the narrow road. If you don't believe me, You just turn to Genesis chapter 3 and you read the story of Eve in the garden, right? You know, sometimes I read this story about Eve. There's there's the God of the universe over here and there's an apple on a tree over here. And sometimes I read the story in Genesis 3 and I go, how stupid is Eve that she'd go for an apple over a relationship with the living God? And then I realize I do that all the time. Right? I do that all the time. I go for BBC Sport app rather than going for Jesus when I wake up in the morning. How dumb is that? Right? But that's Satan's scheme to to tear us away from the source of all life. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, this came up again in conversation, even just talking to a friend here this morning. Satan has got all sorts of schemes to convince you that the the world around you is the thing to take delight in. When actually there's, there's a savior, a messiah, a God who wants to be your friend and he's the one who truly satisfies our souls. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 tells us that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. Friends, if you're here and you don't know Christ, Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. 
This world can offer us so much. I want to say this. Open this book. Read it. And see if you find a source of life to delight in that's more precious than the money in your bank account or the career path that you're on. Don't be fooled. The second sweet poison that I believe um, Satan has for us that I just want to highlight is that he wants to convince us that we're destined for heaven even when we're not. If you put yourself in Satan's shoes, this would be a great, great strategy. And as I was thinking about my town and thinking about the people that I minister to, I was thinking, hey, Satan himself is, is blinding so many people's eyes with this truth. When um, you see it perhaps most clearly at funerals, right? Um, I, I know people in my own town who've, who've ha- had loved ones die and um, th- they say things like, well, they're looking down from me from above. They're in a better place now. And, and as somebody who, who knows Jesus and reads this Bible, you think, well, hold on a minute. Um, unless they're in Christ and they're following him wholeheartedly, and they're a disciple on the way of the cross, then, then we, we can't say for certain that they're up there looking down on us. And, you know, we all know loved ones who've died, and it would be a great shame for us if we took this gospel lightly and we thought, well, we could enter into heaven on anything but the narrow road, right? That would be a scheme of Satan to undermine us. And it's a scheme of Satan to undermine our effectiveness as, as we, we share with unbelievers about Jesus is that we think it doesn't matter as much as it does. No, it does. The, sa- the third um, sweetest pill, I suppose, um, the poison that, that I just wanted to highlight is that um, Satan's strategy to um, bring success to our lives that leads to self-sufficiency. Um, there's a guy in my church, we'll call him Jim, and um, Jim came to us because um, he put a Facebook message out. He, he was fleeing a really difficult situation, a domestic situation. He turned up in the Ronda with his two-year-old boy. They literally had nothing, no money, no house, a bag of clothes. That was it. They, they literally, they just fled. And um, we, we got wind of this from a friend of ours. He put a Facebook note that just said, can anybody help me? And we said, well, we'll try our best. And um, eventually Jim uh, sort of connected with church and we tried to love him and care for him. And, and um, this time last year, as we'd, we'd, we'd shared our lives with him, we'd shared the, the mercy of God with him, we'd shared the truth of the gospel with him. And I had this awesome moment where it seemed that he'd crossed the line of faith. And Jim said to me, I've, I've made a step of faith. I feel this peace in my heart and I want to tell everybody about what Jesus has done for me. And I went, come on. I didn't oh that's nice you know but come on and yet you know Jim's life has started piecing itself back together he's got a house now he's got a job now he's got some money now he's got a girlfriend now and as as success has come to him and his little family again all of a sudden the seed of the gospel is being choked out of his life and you can see it. You can see as, as, as he establishes his life more and more, all of a sudden his need for Jesus and the Christian community is diminishing or his perceived need is diminishing. I want to tell you, your lives are not that much different to, to Jim who fled that horrible situation. That, that for each one of us, we, we might have lots of success. 
We might have lots of stuff that means our lives are comfortable and secure and going in the right direction. I want to just say that that is Satan's scheme against us to draw us away from the source of all life. And the irony of it is this, that um, one of Satan's great bitter pills against us is to convince us that when everything is going wrong, Jesus isn't the God he said he is. So at one side, you've got this sweet pill of when everything's going right, Satan wants to draw you away from Christ. And when everything is going wrong, Satan wants to draw you away from Christ. Do you see that? Satan loves to use suffering and discomfort to cause doubt and even apostasy. You see it in the life of Job. And then you also see grace to hold on. Right? Let me just flag up a couple more of Satan's bitter poisons. I feel like perhaps one of the great ones is disunity in the body. The body of Christ, the church. You know, nothing makes coming to church more miserable than when there's disunity, right? When you've fallen out with people. Let me say this. Nothing keeps people that don't know Jesus away from church more than when Christians are wrestling against one another and falling out with one another, right? Satan knows that, that when Christians aren't in fellowship or when they're in broken fellowship, they're going to have a woeful spiritual existence. Either they're just going to lack joy and peace and all sorts of the things that Jesus wants to give to us by his spirit, or they're just going to jack it in completely, right? Because no one wants to have a miserable faith. felt like the, the Lord prompted me to say this as well. Um, it's slightly off topic, but Satan wants to do everything to keep you out of church, out of Sunday meetings, and out of fellowship with one another. And I think one of the big things he's using in our generation as millennials is just the idol of leisure, right, and recreation. I, I've noticed in my own life just this, this bigger and bigger drag towards like not being in church on a Sunday, and having other things to fill my time with. I, I, I suppose I just want you to know that Satan was... It's not that not being in church on a Sunday is, is necessarily a bad thing. Let's not get religious about it. But Satan would, would seek to keep us out of the people of God because together we're strong and we encourage and we love and we bless one another and it's good for our souls, right? And it keeps us going. So don't miss out on this. The final bit of pill of Satan that I just want to highlight is that and this is so important, when Satan has done all those other things to try and lead us into sin and pull us away from Jesus, the thing that he then does when we realize that we've gone the wrong way and when we turn back to Jesus is that he tries to convince us that there's no grace for our lives, right? He ties us up in guilt and shame. Some of you feel that today. You've had a week of doing all sorts of things that you know are sinful. You can see Satan's strategies all over your life. And you've come to church and you're thinking, Jesus won't forgive me for what I've done this week. That is Satan's most ridiculous and stupid lie, right? We come to the God of all grace. You're in grace church, for goodness sake. I want you to know this. If you've sinned this week, I have gloriously right? If you've sinned this week, there is grace for you. The guilt and the shame get washed away by the blood of Jesus. Don't let Satan convince you that if you're here and you're a sinful Christian, you're a second-rate Christian. You're not. 
You're a co-heir with Christ. You're righteous by Jesus' blood once and for all, holy and blameless and without fault you came to church this morning. Hallelujah, right? Don't let Satan deceive you of that rubbish. Number three, Paul's third command. It comes in verse nine. I'm in Micah, don't ask me why. Here we are. Verse nine, resist him. Peter wants the church not only to be aware of Satan's schemes, he wants them to actively, proactively resist them. One of the important principles of becoming and maturing as a follower of Jesus is to recognize and then learn to resist the strategies of Satan. What does it mean to resist? Well, I was in the, in the pub the other day. We, um, once in a while, we run a pub quiz in our local pub as a church. And um, my mate Simon was um, carrying the pint glass round for the pound coins that goes to the local, all the money we raise goes to the food bank. So he's walking around. I'm going to use Andrew as my example. He walks up to this guy. He was a real big guy with big muscles and a bald head. The bald head is coming. <laughs> the muscles, not so much. Right? So... <laughs> Safe. <laughs> Simon goes with his pint glass says, pan please, this guy stands up out of his seat, takes a deep breath in, puffs out of his chest, and just, and in Tonopandi they're tough, right? It's not like, you know, they growl. (laughs) And this guy just like flexed up and just stared at him. And Simon, who um, is a very fresh-faced 26-year-old, just stood there with his cup and smiled. (laughs) And this guy, I don't think he knew what to do, This guy just like, in a moment, just softened and patted him on the shoulder. I was like, fair play. And and put his pound in and did the pub quiz with us. And life went on. When I I got in, it was just as I was coming in that this happened. Simon came bouncing up to me and said, you'll never guess what just happened. It was funny. (laughs) What does it mean to resist? It literally means to stand against. That's what it means in Greek. To stand against. It means when, when Satan stands up and flexes his muscles and looks all gnarly, we literally just stand, you know, we stand up to it. We don't shrink back. We don't keel over. And this instruction comes with an amazing promise. In, ja- in James chapter 4, verse 7, uh, James says this Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Isn't that cool? Spurgeon said, be more prayerful every time Satan is more active. He will soon give, up, give it up if he finds that his attacks drive you to Christ. Often has Satan been nothing but a big black dog to drive Christ's sheep nearer to the master. Peter points us towards resisting Satan. And the way that he does it is he says, stand firm in your faith. Now, for, for us non-Londoners, one of the challenges of being in London is the London Underground. And you think, you get on the London Underground and you think that you're secure and all of a sudden it starts and you're like four foot, you know, you move four foot and bumped into three people. There's a way to stand on the Underground which is firm, right? Where you're not going to be thrown to one side or the other. And um, that's what Peter is getting at. He's saying stand in a way that's firm. And, And what is the posture that means we can stand firm against Satan and his devices? I think that we we see it most clearly in James 4, verse 7. James says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, draw near to God, and he will draw near 
to you. As I've been thinking about how we resist Satan, I think the answer is quite simple. Christ is like this vine, and we're like branches. If we want to have a, 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 spirit, a, a strong spiritual life, then you just stay grafted into the vine. There's lots of ways to say it, but basically, we just need to make sure that to be firm in faith is to be postured towards Christ. When we're postured towards Christ, we find the strength in order to stand against Satan's schemes. So um, the guys that I've been reading, they say things like this. How do we do it? How do we resist him? Well, we, we, we make sure we, we do our spiritual disciplines well. We're eager in the word. I've, um, I've upped the ante on my Bible reading in the last month. It has been so good for my soul to read more of the word. It helps us to stand against Satan's strategies. Thomas Brooks says, labor to be filled with the Spirit. I love that. We think that being filled with the Spirit is that moment at the end of the meeting when someone prays for us, right? No, we're, we're to labor through our whole lives to be filled with the Spirit of God. Be in much prayer. Be thankful and worship the Lord. The more we do these things, the more we resist the devil, the more we draw near to God, the more we submit ourselves to Christ, we will find that we're standing on a firmer and firmer foundation and Satan will flee. You know, sometimes in my own battles against Satan, my own temptations, I feel like I have to stand up and be strong and battle in my own strength. The goal is we draw strength from Christ and he strengthens us for the battle. If you're here and you're a Christian and maybe you think I'm ineffective, I'm unhappy, I don't feel like I'm I'm getting the fullness of this life. I want to say that's, that's a scheme of Satan just to draw the life of God out of you. Press in to Jesus. Labor to be filled with him. Thankfully, those three uh, imperatives is not the end of our message today. We have be serious, be alert, and resist him. But Peter's final exhortation is this. Be patient. Have a look with me at verse 10 as we come to close. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Paul does not finish by looking at our great adversary, Satan. Instead, he reminds us of our ultimate hope in the battle. We're in a battle against a prowling lion, friends, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Isn't that good news for us today? There is, in fact, a greater lion in the story of the Bible, right? His name is Jesus, the Lion of Judah. And Peter says to his church, resist him and be patient. Be patient knowing that a day is coming when your victor, the Lion of Judah, is going to come and win an ultimate battle against Satan's schemes over your life, over the church, and over this universe forever.
I love that Jesus promised in Genesis chapter 3, right back at the start of the Bible, when Satan pulled the wool over Eve's eyes and convinced her to, to leave God for something so worthless. I love that, that God himself promised that there was a day coming when, when he was going to send somebody to crush the head of the serpent. That's Satan. And this book is about all sorts of things, but it's surely more than anything else, it's about the one who's coming to crush Satan's head and to destroy the rule of sin and death over this world once and for all. I want to tell you, the Lion of Judah is Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on a cross, he dealt with our sin. He dealt with the penalty of death. The curtain was torn in two, and Satan's strategies against you and me were nullified completely. Right? And the battle goes on. But one day Christ is going to return. Some, sometimes Revelation is a bit of a weird book to go to. But when it comes to Satan being destroyed, just go to Revelation and read like 18, 19, and 20. And read about Satan himself being bound and cast into a pit of sulfur once and for all by Jesus, the ruling, reign, and king of all the universe, right? That's what this book is all about. That's why we follow this guy, Jesus. He's the great lion, the serpent crushing, Satan slaying, beast binding victor of the universe. I want to say this to you, church. Wait patiently for him. He's coming back and all of sin and all of Satan's strategies will be dealt with once and for all. And you will come into a glorious eternity with Christ forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. As we close, how does this affect us here today? If you're here and you're not a Christian, Satan wants to keep you from Christ, but Christ has the final victory. We've, we've read, haven't we, that, that, that the devil is our adversary, our enemy. I want to tell you this, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He wants to be your friend. He wants to lead you into life everlasting. You just come to him in faith today. Give him your sin. Receive his righteousness. Come into the family. If you want to talk about that, come and speak to me afterwards. Talk to Andrew or C. If you're here and you're a Christian, I felt two things. First one is this. Maybe you just um, feel a bit ill-prepared for this battle that we're in. As I, as I read Thomas Brooks's book and as I've been thinking about this sermon, I've realized, I don't know a donkey. A donkey's about Satan's schemes over my life. I need to pray for the gift of discernment that I might see more quickly when Satan is trying to under, undermine my walk with the Lord. Some of us, we need to pray for that. We'll have an opportunity to do that in a minute. Some of you here have been in the battle. You can see Satan's schemes all over your life, and you're weary. Some of you know that you're unhappy, guilt-bound, ineffective, impotent Christians. Some of you have given up the fight altogether. You've just laid down and gone for, well, I'm just going to be a rubbish Christian. I'd love to pray today that you'd be filled with the Spirit of Christ. That he'd give you fresh strength for this battle. That you'd be able to stand in ways you've never been able to stand before against the temptations and the strategies of Satan. 
We could do that for one another today. We could ask for the Lord's help. My final thing I just want to say is this, church. As I prepared this, I felt like there, that this, uh, prophetically, for you guys, Grace London, I believe there's going to be some seasons that come where you're going to hear the lion roaring. You're going to feel him prowling round. He's going to seek to destroy the wonderful community of faith that God is building in, here in London. He's going to want to cause disunity, misery, distraction. I want to say this. Resist him. Right? Resist him. Together. You guys, together, resist him. Because what God is building here is important for the kingdom. It's going to see many people come out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And if, if you guys are going to do well at resisting Satan and his schemes, then as a church, you've got to stay close to Christ. When you come together here or in your homes, be committed, be focused, be vigilant, be alert to stay close to Christ. Press into him, labor to be filled with the spirit together that Satan might not find a foothold into the life of this church. Would you do that together for the good of the kingdom, for the fame of Jesus in this wonderful city? We need to pray. Should we stand together? If, um, if you're here and you just feel, hey, I'm ill-prepared for this battle, why don't you just lift your hands to the Lord? Say, Lord, I want to receive the gift of discernment a fresh awareness of what Satan is doing, not to be fearful, but to fight. And if you're here and you just feel, I'm weary in the battle, I'm fed up of all that Satan's doing to, to, to pull me away from the source of all life, again, just lift your hands to the Lord. We're going to pray that the Spirit would come and give his gift of discernment and the filling of the Spirit so that we might be full of the life of Christ. Jesus, we stand now on this truth that you will personally establish and restore us. We stand on the truth that you are victorious over Satan and sin and death. And we say, Lord, would you come and give to us afresh by your grace what we need to stand firm and resist the schemes of Satan in our life. I pray, Lord Jesus, for my precious brothers and sisters here. I pray now, Lord, would you release upon this church the gift of discernment to see Satan and all of his strategies over our lives. Would you, even now, Lord, in this moment, would you quicken to people's minds that even the subtle areas where Satan is trying to get a foothold, that, that my brothers and sisters might push back in faith. I pray, Lord Jesus, even now, that you might come and fill us with your spirit. Please, God, pour your spirit on us, Lord, that, that we might be so full of Christ, that, our, that we might stand firm in the faith, that our posture would be towards you, Lord. Would you give us, Lord, fresh endurance to pray and worship and read the word every morning that we might find the strength that we need. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us um, fresh anointing to remember your word that we can battle with the sword of the Spirit throughout the day. I pray, Lord, for this church. Lord, we thank you that you're building it, that, it, that, that, that it's all by you, Lord. 
I thank you, Lord, that we can see your fingerprints all over it, that your grace is abounding in all sorts of ways. And Lord, we want to pray to the God of the universe. We want to pray to the Lion of Judah, Lord, would you protect this church by your grace, Lord? We want to pray for Andrew and C and the leaders here. Protect them by your grace, Lord Jesus. We want to ask you, Lord, that you would give this community all that they need to stand against the schemes of Satan. And Lord Jesus, with all those things, we, we just come to you now and we say, Lord, we, Lord Jesus, we worship you as the, the greater lion, the lion of Judah. We, we worship you as the one who's crushed Satan's head. We worship you as the one who resisted him fully and lived in this world sinlessly that you might die a sinless death for our sin. We thank you, Lord. We worship you that your cross and your resurrection means that Satan's schemes to destroy us for eternity have lost and that we are on on the winning team and that we're going to heaven and that we're going to worship you as our victorious king for all eternity. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the price that you paid so that this lion won't roar forevermore. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.